are worthy.
us There's no one like you to be free. Come on, y'all. From dead people. Amen. That's why I don't like to do funerals. But God's been good to you. Wait a minute. If he saved you, we ought to have some kind of reaction. Amen. Amen. I saw something on TV the other day, but I'm, I'm going to introduce Pastor. And I thought, wow. It said, you came to this concert, and why are you sitting? And you should not pay your money and come to a concert and sit down. Jesus already paid the price for us. I wish I had somebody in one time. And, and, we, and we could stand up in lines at stores 
we can shop up and down the aisles. But when it comes to God, we act like we got to be sedity. Do I have a witness? Huh? Amen. We ought to be giving him praise. We don't dance to the music. We dance to the glory of God has brought us all this far. In spite of ourselves. I, you know what I love about having somebody else to come to preach? I don't have to worry about this now, right now. I just want to be able to be free, to be able to be a praiser, and to lift up the name of Jesus. And, and I thought the other day, what can I do to get people to stand up and give God praise? The Lord said, remove the seats. I said, what? He said, remove the seats. Threaten them to move the seats. And maybe they have to stand up. Ain't but, a, ain't, ain't but an hour. Y'all know right, right, right? Why can't we, why can't we? Amen. Stand up for anything else? Amen. Praise God. I, I, I know you're sitting there waiting to hear a word from the Lord. But you know what? The Lord is here. Two or three. Gather his name. He's in the midst. So glad today to have Pastor Aiden here. Amen. To give God praise. Amen. Amen. And worship. I come to worship God no matter who's here. Isn't that right? What you do in your home reflects what you do in worship. If you don't praise him at home, you won't praise him in worship. He don't owe us nothing. He, do he owe you anything? He don't owe you nothing. He already done it all. He's done it all. Amen. Pastor, I want you to come because in a minute I might have to take a text. Amen. Pastor, let's stand up on our feet. Can we do that? Give God praise. Pastor. Amen. God bless my brother. standing while we say a quick word of prayer. Pastor, you don't know how much you've been in my message. Good Lord. The atmosphere is set. Woo, the atmosphere is set. Father God, Lord, we love you. We praise you. We bless you. We magnify you. We glorify you. We thank you, Lord, for this time, Lord. The atmosphere has already been set. Lord, you're already here. I thank you for your presence. You're Jehovah Shammah, which means you're right here with us, Lord. Hallelujah. Have your way, Lord. I decrease now that you might increase through your Holy Spirit. Speak, Lord. Speak to your people. Give them ears to hear what thus saith the Lord and a heart to receive it, Lord, and obedience to follow it. And, Lord, it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Let every heart say amen. 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 You don't mind if I take my jacket off? Woo. Good Lord. Man, please, please be seated. Please be seated. Please be seated. No, I'm fine. Whoo, Jesus. Pastor, what a word, what a word, what a word. God has truly been good. And I've been laboring all week over this word. It's been in my spirit. It's been stirring. It's been stirring. I said, oh, Pastor, whoo. And Pastor's been texting me all week. And, uh... I think he wanted to make sure I was going to be here, but whoa, it was already in my phone. I had a countdown in my phone three days to First Baptist, one day to First Baptist, and then even an hour to First Baptist. 
I was certainly going to be here because I'm on assignment. This is an assignment from God. Ooh. So if you need a title, if you need a title for my message, it's called the spirit of entitlement. Oh, come on, come on. The spirit of entitlement. And as the Lord was giving me this message, I kept thinking like, you know what, Lord, you're right. There's some entitled folks walking around here. And you know, before the Lord give you a word, you got to receive it first. Amen. It's for you first. Amen. And so I had to receive this word. And boy, I struggled like, Lord, really? Do I have a spirit of entitlement? And the Lord had to deal with me. And even in my mind, I kept saying, God don't owe me anything. And then I just heard pastor say that. Does God owe you anything? Even the Bible says, oh, no man, but to love him. And you think God is indebted to you? If God don't do another thing for you, come on now. We say that. We love to say, God, if you don't do another thing for me, Lord, you didn't done enough. But we expect more. Like he a genie. God, you owe me. I prayed this morning. God, you owe me. Your word says you're going to heal me. By your stripes, I'm healed. Oh, we'll remind God and put him in remembrance of his word. But what about the suffering that we're supposed to endure? There's some things that we're going to suffer. So, boy, we don't want that spirit of entitlement. We don't want it, but it has crept in the church. It has crept in the church, and we're going to address it. And we're going to deal with it. Because if it's in the church, it's in your home. If it's in the church, it's because it's in your home. And it's in you. And we need to address it. And we need to address it. So what is entitlement? What is entitlement? It's the belief that one is inherently deserving of privileges or special treatment. We deserve God's goodness. We're entitled to God's goodness. That's a dangerous road to be on. That is a dangerous road to walk. I see it in my family. I see the entitlement in my own family. I see it on my job. I see it in the church. I've been on my job for 18 years. I've become one of the number one salesmen in the automotive industry. In my, but I've put work in. I've labored. I've prayed. I've fasted. And I've been through some things. But there's young salesmen that come in, and they have an expectation to be where I am. But you don't have my skill set. You haven't put the time in or the work in. And you wonder why I have the clientele that I have. I put some time in. And I still don't even expect it. But I thank God for it. But because of the spirit of entitlement, we think they owe it to us. They owe me something. We don't owe you anything. We live in a time now when children expect you to take care of them. Even when they're grown and gone and married. Huh? Where did that come from? Oh, I mess with my daughter all the time. Oh, you got a new daddy. Remember, you married now. You married now. Oh, don't come with daddy, daddy, daddy. No, where's the other daddy at? Come on now. But because I love her. Because my heart is. And that's the same way God does us. He blesses us because he loves us. Not because we deserve it. Not because we're entitled to it. Don't mistake God's grace for privilege. Don't mistake his grace 
that he puts on us. He says his grace is new every day. But don't let that be a privilege that you think that you start to expect. So I want to go into the book of Philippians. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Philippians. I'm going to start at the second chapter. Philippians 2. I'm going to show you what happens when you mistake God's grace for privilege. God's grace for privilege. Philippians 2, and we're going to start at verse 5. Verse 5, we're going to go down through 8. Here's what Jesus is saying. Paul says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. In other words, I want you to have the same mindset that Christ had, who existed in the form of God, but did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself as being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And so as I was studying this, I said, if anybody has a right to feel entitled, it should be Christ. Hold on. The three were in the beginning before the beginning even began. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But Lord, you've given me this assignment to do what? To come down into humanity and die on a cross. But think about what he just said. He didn't consider equality like, wait, why I got to go? Wait a minute. That's too, wait, why I got to be the one to do it? All three of us are the same. Why is it me? He didn't grasp for equal status. But the Bible says he emptied himself. I'm taking on the form of a servant. And that's what we should be. He says, adopt that mindset. You're always a servant first. I don't care what your title is. I don't care what your position is. I don't care how long you've been in the church. It does not matter. You are a servant first. Remember when they asked Jesus, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? He says, the one that serves everybody. If you want to be great in the kingdom, you got to serve everybody. And you know, you start talking about that. Everybody like, well, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. You got to serve everybody? Absolutely. You see all these folks in here need to be served? It's time for you to serve them if you want to be great in God's kingdom. Because we have adopted a me first mentality. Let me be the first one. Let me be the first partaker. Not in the kingdom. The Bible says the last shall be first. Are you willing to be last? Are you willing to put someone else before you? That's what God is looking for. He's looking for humility. He's looking for servants. Jesus says, I didn't come down here to, to be served. Wait a minute, let me put my apron on. And let me begin to wash your feet. And I believe it was Peter that says, you can't wash my feet. He said, then you can't have no part in my kingdom. Because what I do now, I want you to follow and duplicate. I, you've come to serve. That's why we're here. Pastor is teaching us how to serve. You want to be a leader? Learn how to serve. You want to lead? Learn how to follow. I learned that in the military. 20 years in the military taught me that. You better learn how to serve. And when you get tired of serving, serve more. Serve more. 
See, in the military, they don't ask you for volunteers. You're voluntold. That's what they call it. You're voluntold. Wait, I don't get a say in this? Absolutely not. You don't get a say in God's kingdom? Whew. All righty. Don't ever forget you're a servant. So I want to talk about David. We lo I love to talk about David. I love talking about King David. Let me tell you a few things about King David. Let me talk about his life. He was the youngest son of Jesse. He was the youngest son of Jesse. And he was responsible for tending the sheep of the family. So a sheep herder was a lonely job. It was a lowly job. But that was David's job. You also learn that David was very skilled when it came to combat because he reminded that, hey, I've killed a bear, I've killed a lion whenever they came against the sheep. So David had some skills. David knew how to handle himself. David was anointed at age 15 years old by Saul. He was anointed to be king of Israel at 15. And if you remember, when Saul asked, I mean, when it was, uh, who am I saying, Samuel. When Samuel asked Jesse to bring out all your sons, Jesse didn't even think about David. Like, wait a minute. Wait, is, is this all your sons? He's like, no, I mean, we got David, but he a sheep herder. Go bring him here. And they brought David there. And the Lord said, it's him. It's him. You'll be surprised how you serve others. God don't miss that. God don't miss. He was serving sheep. Think about it. He was serving sheep. He was caring for sheep, but he had a heart for God. And he wasn't going to let nothing happen to them sheep. And he became king at 15? Now, you know, some of y'all, you anoint yourself to be king. You ready to sit on the throne. But it wasn't his time yet. Get back out in the field. Go back out in the field and herd them sheep. Go herd the sheep. Then at 16, at 16, this is when he defeats Goliath. This is when he defeats Goliath. So as you can see, God has favored David from a young age. God has graced him and favored him from a very young age, just like he has some of us. Some of us have been through some traumatic experiences, traumatic but we're still standing here giving God glory in spite of what we've been through. Some of us have been through some things that we don't even want to talk about. I'm just talking about myself here. There's some things that I've done in my past that I'm so ashamed of. If I told you right now, you'd probably get up and be like, Pastor, you invited him to come preach? You invited him to come give a word? Because you're not ready yet. You're still in that judgmental stage. God says, I take the least of them. I use those that you have discarded, the ones that you think they didn't come from noble birth. They didn't come from royalty. Those are the ones that I use. It's us. He says, I want to use you, but you got to be humble. You got to be humble. You got to be willing to serve. And so as we take a quick glimpse over David's life, again, I'm talking about David. But I'm not talking about David. I'm talking about David, but I'm not talking about David. I want you to do some reflection as we talk about this. Because it's important that we get this. And we don't allow that spirit to come into us. God doesn't owe us anything. 
I've been believing God for my healing. I was diagnosed with diabetes back in 2006. 2006. 2004? I thought it was when I separated. 2004. That's even longer. Jeez. But watch this. I'm still healed. I'm still declaring my healing. I'm still standing on God's word. Still declaring because his grace has been sufficient. God don't owe me healing. And it's a bad thought for me to think, well, God, you said you're going to heal me. Go talk to Paul. When Paul said, I got this thorn that I'm dealing with. And I kept inquiring from the Lord three times, Lord, take this thing away from me. And some scholars say it was a medical condition he dealt with. But whatever it was, God says, don't worry about that. My grace is going to be sufficient for you. Receive my grace. Stop asking me to take that away from you. So you know what? I keep declaring my healing and I keep moving on, doing what God has called me to do. I'm not going to let that stop me because, God, you don't owe me anything. What is this privilege that has crept into the church? No one should have to pump you and prime you to give God glory. When you think about everything that he has done for you, wait, the things that he's kept from you. Some of y'all should be have lost your mind by now. All the drugs you done done? Come on now. Okay, I'm just saying. Some of y'all have been in some situations and you know because of God's mercy, his grace was on your life. You ain't supposed to be here. Not in your right mind. Don't take that for granted. Okay, so I want you to go with me to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. Let's talk about David. Remember what I told you? God has favored David from a young age. When he, when he defeated Goliath, the king gave him whatever he wanted. Here, take my daughter too. Take all the witches, whatever you need. After he defeated Goliath, he moved into the palace. He moved right into the palace with the king. So once again, 2 Samuel 11, all this favor on Dave's life. The Bible says, in the spring, when kings march out to war, David sent Joab with his officers and all of Israel. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. So here we see David's first mistake. The Bible says at a time when who? Kings should be leading their troops. David decided to stay back. Whenever you decide to neglect God's duties and responsibilities that he has given you, it becomes an open door. An open door for satanic attack, for spiritual attack, spiritual warfare. When you begin to neglect your duties, if pastor decides that he's going to stop showing up, I'd hate to think what's going to happen here at First Baptist if he just decides that I'm not doing that anymore. Now, maybe somebody may step up, but there's going to be some issues. There's going to be some problems. But anytime you neglect what God has called you to do, David's responsibility as a king, was to lead his men in the battle. But David decided, I'm just going to chill, and I'm going to let you all go fight. Mm. So men, side plug, you're the priest of your families. Even if you're not and you don't have a family right now, 
God has still called you to be a priest. God is preparing you in this season so that you will be able to take your rightful place as a priest of your home. You have to be in position. Ladies, same thing. If you're married, God has called you to have the heart of the priest and God in your home. In your home. Because the home, that's your first ministry. Man, we got to get this. Pastor, we got to get this. It's too often you see leaders that are trying to take care of God's business in the church and their family is neglected. Oh, God's not pleased with that. Read your Bible. If you can't take care of your first ministry, watch this. I can't trust you to take care of this one right here. If you ain't praying for your wife at home, don't come here talking about you're going to lay hands and pray for somebody else. Keep your hands off my wife. Keep your hands off my, I'll pray for her. And you see it often. And I've had women tell me, he don't pray for us at home. Oh, but the minute he get in church, he's trying to be seen. Come on now. Where does that spirit come from? Ministry starts at home. Make sure your first ministry is covered. Then God's going to take care of yours. Come on now. Absolutely. All right, so let's keep going. So when you get to verse 2 and 3, let me read verse 2 and 3. It says, one evening David got up from his bed and he strolled around the roof. Remember, David's not where he's supposed to be. He's strolling around the roof of the palace. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, a very beautiful woman. So David sent someone to inquire about her, and he said, Isn't this Bathsheba? That's what his servant said. Daughter of Eliam and wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now watch this. As a leader, you need to surround yourself with people who are not afraid to tell you the truth. <laughs> Pastor, make sure you surround yourself with people that are not afraid to tell you the truth and to correct you if need be. Isn't that what the Lord told Moses? I need you to find some men full of the spirit because this work is a lot. In the military, we call them yes men. A yes man will get you killed because a yes man is more concerned about pleasing you. Come on now. He's more concerned about pleasing you than keeping you and the rest of everybody else safe. That's a yes man. We don't need a yes man. I need somebody that has the spirit of God that can correct me. My men's group, I tell them all the time, if you see me out of order, you better correct me. You better, tell, you better pull me to the, Don't let what pastor ate. That's why I don't even really use pastor. I don't even use the title. I don't. I want you to realize that, look, we're brothers. I need you to be able to communicate with me. And if I find myself in a struggle, I want you to have discernment. I want the Lord to be able to speak to you. And I want you to be able to say, Pastor, let me pull you to the side. Let, let me talk to you real quick. Let me, let me tell you, you out of order, brother. I saw how you was talking to your wife. You out of order. We want that. We need that. We're the body of Christ. One body. One body. If one part of your body was suffering with... Uh, infection or something, wouldn't you treat it? Yeah. Oh, no, that's just gangrene. It's going to go away. It's your foot. It's connected to the body. It's going to cause some other issues. It's going to spread. 
So we got to deal with it. You got to deal with it. Okay, all right. So I love the fact that Uriah's servant, the minute David said, go inquire about it, his servant said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's the daughter of Eliam, and that's the wife of Uriah the Hittite, which means that he's your commander. Oh, David knew exactly who Uriah was. That's your commander. We, uh-uh, we don't need to be, uh-uh. There's the correction. There's the correction right there. But what did David do? David sent him anyway. Go get her and bring her here. Bring her here, and we know what happened. And just for the sake of time, I'm going to paraphrase. The rest of 2 Samuel, not only does David sleep with Bathsheba, he gets her pregnant. She inquires, she, she, she tells the servant, let David know I'm now pregnant. So now David goes up into cover-up mode. It's time to cover it up. So he says, go ahead and have Uriah, her husband, come back from the war. Bring him back. And most of if you've read the story, you understand, when Uriah came back, David tried to host a little soiree and party for him. And he said, why don't you just go ahead and go home, spend some time with your wife? But Uriah wouldn't. Uriah stayed right at the gate of the palace. And he slept right there. He wouldn't go home. So they, the servants told the king that he never went home. He, he didn't go home. And so he tried it again. He tried to get him drunk. He did get him drunk. Bring him back. Let's have a party. Let's drink. And he said, okay, go ahead and go home. And he wouldn't go home. He stayed right there at the palace. And so now David is furiated. He's mad. Why would you not go home? And Uriah tells him, because wait a minute. I've got men that are sleeping in tents. They're in battle and war. And you expect me to go home and sleep in a bed? If anybody should get it, it should be the king. You should get this. But at this point, David is trying to cover this thing up. And he's doing everything he can. And he's failing miserably. Failing miserably. So you know the rest of the story is David sends Uriah back to the war and he gives him a letter for the soldiers up there, the commanders for his own death and when they read the letter it says send Uriah to where the fighting is the most fierce, put him on the front line, put him on the front line and as we would suspect Uriah was killed and David think mission is accomplished Ooh, boy I got away with what do you think you got away with what do you think you getting away with I heard a man say, whenever you're doing something you have no business doing, after you finish looking around, look up. Look up. Just look up. Because the Bible says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth, beholding the good and the evil. God sees, the Bible says everything is laid bare before God and he sees everything. You have not gotten away with anything. That's why repentance daily is so important. Every day you have to repent. I remember talking to a good friend of mine, really good brother, and I was telling him and sharing with him, I, I repent every day. Every day I repent. And he said, well, you don't really have a need to repent every day if you're not sinning. I said, man, I'm asking the Lord to forgive me for things that I didn't even know. The Bible says for him that know to do good and don't, to him that is sin. It's in the book of James. So there's some things that I know that I shouldn't have done. And so, Lord, I'm just 
putting you, hey, look, forgive me. But watch this. Watch this. I don't think it was a year later that he had an affair and his wife found out about it. And this person put it all over the church. And all I, the first thing I thought of is, that's why you got to repent every day. That's why you can never let your guards down and feel like, I haven't sinned. I haven't done anything. I say, Lord, every day, even if it's things I can't even recall, because I know me. I know my history. I know my flesh. I refuse to let my title get in the way and think that because I'm now a pastor, because I'm now a student of the word of God, that I won't sin. I heard a pastor, and this was years ago, and I was still young in the ministry, and he was, his name is Pastor Liston Page. I'll go ahead and put his name out there. Pastor List, Bishop, Bishop Liston Page. I was watching him do a service in Atlanta. I was down in Georgia, and he said, the reason I don't cheat on my wife is because I love God too much. And I said, really? Man, if I told my wife that, no, you don't cheat on me because you love me. I would think that that's what my wife would want to hear. But he said it's because I love God too much. But I was just young and didn't understand that I don't want to sin against God. I don't want to sin against my wife, but I certainly don't want to sin against God. Are you kidding? God has given me everything. God's going to be here even after my wife is gone. Heaven forbid that happens, but he's going to always be here. My blessings come from the Lord. Whew. So I want you to turn to me, 2 Samuel 11, 26 and 27. Still talking about David. How that spirit of entitlement has crept up, and now it's got David. David feels entitled. David is now walking in privilege. So when you get to verse 26 and 27. We're in 2 Samuel, 11th chapter. It says, when Uriah's wife heard that her husband Uriah had died, she mourned for him. And when the time of mourning ended, David had her brought to the house. She became his wife and bore him that son. However, the Lord considered what David had done as evil. Evil. After all I have done for you, after the position that I have put you in, how have you done this evil thing against the Lord? I have given you everything, including the kingdom. He says, I've given you, David had plenty of wives, but you could have had anybody you wanted, any woman you want that's not married, but you chose to take Uriah's wife, one of your soldiers, fighting in a war for you, Willing to put his life on the line for you. God said, how could you have done this thing that's so evil? So when you get to 2 Samuel, the 12th chapter, 1 through 4. <laughs> so here's how God deals with it. God sees everything. God doesn't miss anything. Anything you think you may have gotten away with, God already knows. He already knows the time. So God sends... Nathan to David. Nathan tells David a story, and I'm just kind of paraphrasing. He tells him about two men, one rich and one poor. He says the rich man has everything. 
everything imaginable. He says, but the poor man only has a ewe lamb. He raised this animal from birth like it was his own daughter. His children loved this animal. And when a traveler came to meet with him, the rich man, instead of taking an animal from his own flock, he chose to sacrifice that one man's poor ewe lamb for his guest. And when David heard the story, he was so angry. He was so mad. David said the man deserved death. Kill that rich man. Kill that rich man. <laughs> so you already know the rest of the story. Nathan tells David, it was you. It was you. You're the one that did this evil thing. It was you. The Lord has given you everything, including the kingdom. He says, I even rescued you from Saul. When Saul, who was the king, wanted you dead, I rescued you from the hand of Saul. He says, and I would have given you so much more. And he said, you repay me by evil. This is how you repay the Lord. First, you sleep with Bathsheba, knowing she's married. Then you murder her husband. Then you move her into the palace and marry her and have a baby with her and think that it's all going to be good. Entitlement. Now, that's David's story. I don't know what your story is. I don't know what you've done. I know what I've done. And you better know I'm, I'm repenting, constantly asking the Lord, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for my past. Forgive me for right now. I know there's some things that I have not done right. Lord, don't ever let me feel like serving you is a privilege, that I'm privileged because I serve you, that I'm entitled to anything. Lord, you don't owe me anything, and I mean that. I thank you for my wife of 35 years, but she didn't have to stay with me. I've counseled many married couples that have divorced, remarried, and divorced, remarried, and divorced, remarried, and divorced, and now remarried. Five times, five marriages. Come on now. One marriage. I'm so grateful and so thankful. And if my wife stood up here, hopefully she wouldn't tell you, <laughs> tell you all the trauma I put her through. But thank God for his grace. She don't look like what she's been through. And neither do I. We don't look like we, what we've been through. It's because of God's grace. God doesn't owe that to us. But let's just be grateful that we have it. Every day we wake up. We should want to praise God. We should want to start by thanking him. God, you kept me from dangers seen and unseen. It was an accident with my name on it. I've come to learn when I see an accident, I'm praying. I'm praying. And I'm like, Lord, that could have been me. That could have been me because everybody don't walk away from accidents. But, Lord, I'm grateful and I'm thankful. How many times I've driven sleepy, tired, and sometimes my wife will wake up from a dead sleep and be like, baby, you want me to drive? No, you've been asleep. No, I don't want you to get behind the wheel. But I'm praying, God, your grace keep me. Your grace continue to sustain me. Even when I've made bad choices. And you know, come on, church, we make some bad choices, some bad decisions. Can we be honest and transparent? But God still kept us. 
He still kept us. He don't owe us anything. So when you get down to verse 11, I'm almost done. When you get down to verse 11, here's what God said. This is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on you from your own family. I will take your wives and give them to another before your very eyes. And he will sleep with them in broad daylight. In other words, what you've done in secret, I'm going to do it openly. I'm going to do it openly. He says, lastly, the son you bore with Bathsheba will certainly die. Because of the evil David perpetrated against the Lord, because of his entitled spirit, because of the privilege that he thought he walked in, God punished him and his family. He said the sword will never depart from your home. Never so we know the story. His son died. Son died. His own son Absalom slept with one of his wives in broad daylight. The Bible says in front of all Israel, which means they saw it. Then his other son, Amnon, raped his own sister, Tamar. Look at all of this calamity that has come upon him because he felt entitled because he had a spirit of entitlement and he thought he was privileged and didn't realize that although you're a king, you're still a servant. You're still God's servant. I don't care what your title is. I don't care what your position is. Don't you ever forget you are a servant of God and God has called you to serve his people. That's why we're here. We're here to serve. That's our first responsibility. So go to Galatians, Galatians 6, 7, and 9. I'm about to close. Galatians 6, 7, and 9. Don't allow that spirit of entitlement in your home. When you see it, crush it. Crush it. How do you crush the spirit of entitlement? Go serve. Go serve. Make sure you're serving somebody. Get involved. God has given you gifts, talents, abilities. What are you doing with them? Don't go serve yourself. Serve his kingdom. The church has need of your gifts. Don't lay down on your gifts. I'll ask men, so what is the gift God has given you? I'm not sure. Then that means you're not using them. That means you're not serving. I'm here to teach you how to serve the gift that God has given you. So that gift comes forward, whatever the gift may be. And he's given us all gifts. So that we can serve one another. The Bible says for the perfecting of the saints. My gift is to help perfect you. Not only am I a shepherd, I'm also an encourager. That's part of the gifts that he's given me. And watch this. I don't charge you for them. Oh, I don't charge you for them. I'm not one of them paid pastors that, oh, before I come see you, you got to send me some money. You got to cash at me. He said as freely as I have given it to you. Go serve the body of Christ. Now watch this. If they want to bless you, that's fine. But don't you ask for it. Don't ask for it. Because I gave that to you. You were born with that gift. And that's why you see so many perverted gifts in the kingdom. So many perverted gifts because we've taken the gift that God has given us. That's for his church. And we've taken them and we've run to the world. And we're looking to just get paid. God says, but you departed from the first ministry. 
The first love, right here. Right here. Oh, I'm trying to get me a singing contract. Sing for the Lord. Get up here and sing for the Lord. He's the one that gave you the gift. Because the gift has to be developed. Your gift has to be developed and it has to be perfected. And the problem is we take our gift and run to the world and it hasn't been developed. Now you think because you're getting paid in the world, you're doing something. But you'll see. You, you'll see. Because the minute when calamity comes, that gift ain't going to save you. That gift ain't going to help you. Guess who's going to help you? Right here. Right here in the church. This is where your help comes from. Man, I can't thank God enough for the church. How, how can I not? And, and then I used to, God, forgive me for taking so long to get into the church. But I was out in the world serving myself. I wasn't trying to get into the church. But boy, you better know, once I got into the church, oh, it's over. It's over now. Oh, this is it. This is the call right now. This is it. Oh, my job? Oh, that's, that's, that's my ministry. Folks know it. That's what I'm called to serve on my job. They know God has gifted me to do that. And it still pays me. That's the icing on the cake. That's the icing on the cake. But I'm there to serve. I'm there to be an example. Can God use you on your job? Some of us hate our job because it's not ministry for us. We don't understand why we're there. We're there trying to get paid. God says if you serve me right there, you're going to automatically get paid. Allow me to move through you on your job and watch what happens. Watch what happens. I got you. So Galatians 6, 7 through 9. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that hate shall also reap. That he shall also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap everlasting life. And he says, and let us not be weary in doing well. He says, for in due season, you shall reap if you faint not. We just saw an illustration of David sowing to his flesh. David walking in privilege. David having a spirit of entitlement. And how that slippery road, the seeds that he sowed, came back to harvest over him and his family. That's not what we want, church. That's not what we want. We want to make sure that we're sowing seeds, seeds of the kingdom, love, peace, joy, goodness, mercy, righteousness, the fruit of the spirit. That wasn't all of them, but you know where I'm going with that. But the point is, that's what we should be sowing. So love, so it comes back. Peace, so it comes back. Some of us can't have peace because we don't know how to sow peace. We don't know how to sow peace. We so aggressive, so angry. And as you sow anger, it just comes back, bitterness, wrath. The Lord is trying to teach us in his kingdom what we need to be sowing, what we need to be sowing. He says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. But what's in your heart? What is in your heart? 
whatever's in your heart is coming out. You can't deceive. You may deceive man for a season, but you can't deceive God. It's just a matter of time. What thoughts are in your mind? The Bible says take every thought captive. What do you think about? What do you meditate on day and day and night? It's just a matter of time before harvest comes. Before harvest comes. So important. God doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't owe us anything. But then I kept thinking, God, but you said David was a man after your own heart. After he sinned? After he had Uriah killed? After all this evilness that you say he did? But you say he a man after your own heart. Help me understand that, God. God said, turn to Psalms 51. There it is. Turn to 51. Psalm 51. David repented. He poured his heart out to the Lord. He said, Lord, it's, matter of fact, let me just read it. I want to close with this. Psalms 51. He says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. He says, blot out my transgressions. He says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. It hasn't left me. I'm still thinking about the evil that I did, how I failed. Here you have anointed me to be king and how I failed you as a leader. He says, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. I deserve everything you've given me. And that's why the Bible talks about when his son died, the servants were afraid to tell him. They were terrified. We ain't about to tell the king his son just died. And he could tell just by the way they were acting. He said, is he dead? And they said, yeah, he is. And the Bible says the king got up and washed his face. Got up and washed his face and ate. And they were like, king, wait a minute. Now when he was, he was, he was still alive, you know, you were mourning and you were, you, you were just tore up. But now that he's dead, you didn't got up, wash your face, and you're ready to start serving again. He says, because I'll see him again. He said, my son can't come to me, but I'll go to him. Church, we got to understand. God says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. And then cleanse you of, wait, not some unrighteous. Oh, unright, I don't care what your past has been. It doesn't matter. He says, if you come to me, oh, I'm going to cleanse you. But your heart got to be right. You got to come. Forgiveness? Y'all talking about forgiveness? Oh, you got to repent. You got to understand that you have sinned against my word. And it's my word that's going to cleanse you. My word is going to cleanse you. My word is going to keep you. It's going to be my word. And so he says in verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. I was born like this. He says, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden parts you will make me to know wisdom. So purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. He's saying, rejuvenate me again, because you're the only one that can do that. 
you're the only one that can do that. I'm sorrowful. I'm repenting. And you're the only one that can bring me back. He says, create in me. Oh, wait, wait, nine. He says, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. He says, do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Then I'm going to repent. Now I'm going to go tell everybody. I'm going to go tell everybody. I'm going to tell everybody. God forgave me. And I'm not going to be ashamed to tell them what I did. I'm going to stand here and say, no matter what I did, God forgave me. And I'm not going to be judgmental of what you're dealing with. This is a judgment-free zone. How dare I look down on you and judge you for what you've done, knowing I got a pass. Knowing I, I tell my folks, be careful when you begin to judge me. Be careful. Because God has forgiven me. I would hope you would forgive me. But wait, your forgiveness is not that important. I would love for you to forgive me, but if you won't, that's between you and God. But God has forgiven me. Man, he says, then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted. The Bible says in Revelations that they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. Your testimony going to help get somebody free because you're not afraid. It's the same enemy. If he got me, he coming after you. The same tactics he used on me, he's using on you. I might as well go ahead and give you a strategy and tell you how he did it. I'm telling you what, hey man, I wasn't in position. I wasn't where I was supposed to be. Hopefully you're going to get that. Learn from my mistakes. I don't want you to go duplicate them. Man, he says, and deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. Don't ever let the enemy shut your mouth. Don't, I don't care what you're going through. You better learn how to praise him even in your, even in your situation. You got to give him glory and you got to give him praise. It's easy to praise God when we come out of a situation. But can you praise him while you're in the midst of it? Can you praise him while you're in the midst of your storm? Even when you don't see your way out. God, I don't know how you're going to do this, but I'm giving you glory now. I'm praising you in advance. I'm celebrating the victory now. Because it don't matter. Because you're with me. And when you're with me, that gives me a confidence. That, Lord, you're going to bring me out of this. I love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I love it because the way they responded to the king. They told the king, oh, king, we're not careful how we talk to you. Oh, we're not careful how we address you. Our God shall deliver us. But even if he don't, even if he don't, we still ain't going to buy it. We still ain't bound. You know what they did? We still ain't bound. We still not going to bow. We ain't bowing to you. That's how you got to tell the enemy, we're not bowing. These, these knees don't bend to you, brother. They just don't. They bend only to my Lord and Savior. That's it. You got to have that kind of boldness and tell the enemy, hey, look, man, even if he take my life, that's okay. Even if he take my life, that's okay. It's all good. 
it's all because I know where I'm going to spend eternity. I know where I'm going to be at in eternity. I have the assurance that I'm going to spend eternity with him. I have that assurance. So that gives me a confidence that no matter what I face, God says, son, I told you I'm never going to leave you. Did you forget that? Do you understand that I'm in the fire with you? Even the king said, wait, we threw three in. But there's four in the fire. Come on now. God is in whatever situation you're in. God don't step out of you when you get in your mess. The Holy Spirit don't just up and leave you. He don't. His spirit is grieved, but he's still with you. He's still with you. And he says, I'll provide a way of escape if your mind is on me. If your mind is in the spirit, I'm going to show you how to get out of this. I'm going to show you how to navigate this. But I got to be with you. You got to realize that your help comes from me. So let me finish this up. He says, oh, Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall praise you, shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. These, oh God, you will not despise. God's looking for a humble spirit. He's not looking for arrogant, arrogant, entitled members. He's looking for humility. Understanding that you don't deserve anything. You don't deserve my goodness, but I do it because you've accepted my son. I do it because you said yes to Christ. That's why I do it, because I love him so much. I love him so much, and I love you as well for your yes. So he says, do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then they shall offer, then they shall offer bulls on your altar. So again, here's David pouring out his heart to the Lord. And I was thinking, like, I wonder what my prayer of repentance would look like. Would it, would it sound like David's? I mean, had I got to the point where, Lord, I'm so sorry for what I've done, to really have a sorrowful heart, and I believe I've been there, and I want to remain there because I don't ever want to mistake God's grace for entitlement. I don't deserve anything. When we pulled up this morning, where my sister at? She said, Pastor Aiden, we got a parking spot right here reserved for you. Park right out here on the street. It's all good. Lord, help me always remain humble. I love the fact that they had a reserved parking spot for me. But, Lord, I just want to stay humble. I want to stay humble. And if you're not careful, sometimes church folks will put you on an altar. They will build you up. But you better have enough wisdom and discernment to say, no, 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 wait a minute. No, we, we serving each other. We serving each other. Now, that's protocol. I un I'm a military guy. I understand protocol. Protocol has its place, but it's a dangerous thing as a leader for you to start expecting anything. I expect this, and I expect that because before you know it, you start trying to demand it. You start trying to demand it, and you've crossed a line where you begin to privilege. I expect you to open the door for me. I expect you to carry my Bible. I expect you to have what Again, I, I'm thankful and grateful but I don't ever want to get to a place where I begin to expect it. I don't ever want to get to a place where I expect it. So, again, I want to say a prayer before I leave, but don't let that, and I mean, we see it in our kids. 
you know when you see entitled kids, you don't even want to be around them. Kids that are spoiled, that haven't had to go through, don't know what no means. I got a grandson. You tell him no, he on the floor. Like, oh, yeah, we're going to break that spirit real quick. Oh, we'll break that real quick. Real quick. Because sometimes that's us. When God tells us no, we're on the floor. We're on the floor. We ain't coming to church. We don't want to serve. We don't want to give. Because that entitled spirit. God, you're supposed to bless me. God, you're supposed to. God don't owe you anything. He don't owe you anything, and I don't owe you anything. Owe no man but to love, accept love. That's what we owe each other. That's what we owe each other. So let us pray. Father God, Lord, we love you. We praise you. We bless you. We magnify you. We just thank you for your presence, Lord. And Lord, right now, we repent, Lord. We repent of anything that we've done, Lord, that has been displeasing to you. We ask, Lord, that you really search our hearts. You already know, Father God. We're the ones that are dragging, Father God. You already know everything that we've done. Lord, teach us to always be repent. Teach us how to always repent, Lord. To be sorrowful when we miss the mark, Lord. When we don't get it right, Father God. Keep a guard over our tongues, Lord, that we'll continue to bless you and bless one another, Lord. Lord, we just thank you for your presence. We thank you for all that you have continued to do in our life. We're grateful, Lord. We're grateful for this day. You didn't have to wake us up, Lord. We didn't have to get here safely, but you did it anyway because you love us and we love you, Lord. So teach us how to truly love one another. Teach us how to walk in forgiveness, Father God. Teach us how to repent daily so that we don't walk in entitlement, so that we don't walk in privilege. We love you so much and we praise you and we thank you. Thank you for this family, Father God, First Baptist. Lord, continue to use them for your glory. Even the man of God, the woman of God, bless them, Father God, that they may continue to have long life, that they may continue to be servants, Lord, servants first, Lord, and partakers of your glory. We love you so much. We honor you and we bless you and we give you all the glory. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Let every heart say amen. Amen. Thank you all so much for allowing me to come and minister the word of God. I asked your pastor when he asked me to come, I said, is there something going on? He said, yeah, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. I said, oh, I'm, I'm going to make sure it wasn't a special day. Or, he said, it's Jesus. I want you to come and impart the word of God. So I pray that the word, you'll receive it, receive it in your heart. Let it be hidden in your heart so that we don't sin against the Lord. I love you all. You all have a wonderful Sunday. Amen. Great word, brother. Great word. Great word. Amen. 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 We praise God. Amen. What a mighty God we serve. Amen. We all can relate to that. Can we relate to that? Entitlement.